God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm sure, like me, you have seen more than your fair share of portrayals of the life of Jesus in film and on television over the years. And some of them are more memorable than others, and some are memorable for all the wrong reasons, and some come across as being more authentic than others. The first one that I remember seeing was way back in the 70s when I was a child, and it was the big thing, it was a six-hour marathon called Jesus of Nazareth, starring Robert Powell, and it's had a, a big influence on the, uh, the, this, the images that we tend to see of Jesus. You often, if you Google images of Jesus, you'll see that very poignant picture of Robert Powell, his face drawn and lean, and the crown of thorns, and he has the most piercing blue eyes that you've ever seen, and therein lies the problem, of course, because Jesus as a Middle Eastern man was not going to have blue eyes, but um, it was the first film of its kind that I ever saw. And then there is, of course, The Passion of the Christ, which is more modern, more recent, although some time ago now, and I suppose what sticks in my mind regards it is just the sheer graphicness of the portrayal of the Passion of Jesus. Um, it's, it's more authentic because the setting is very real, and of course it's in Aramaic, and you have to read the subtitles in English if you don't uh, know Aramaic very well. Um, so normally I'm not one to go for subtitles in films, but it really worked in that. But again, just how gruesome the flogging and the flailing particularly was, it's not, not everyone's cup of tea. It hasn't reached a lot of people for that reason. Personally, what I like best is one that I've been recently introduced to, and one that is streaming on Netflix, and that is The Chosen. Have you ever seen The Chosen? So there's been a lot of talk about it, and I finally found where I could see it. And it is, it is, it comes across as being much more authentic. And Jesus is just so likable and so down to earth and, and one of us. Um, yes, he's holy, and yes, he's the Son of God, and he does amazing things. But there is an authenticity about it, and it's something that that appeals to me. And why it came to mind this evening when I was thinking about St. Matthew and, and our celebration of his day is because the portrayal of Matthew the Apostle in The Chosen is quite different and quite unique. And he really is portrayed as being somebody who is a misfit even amongst the apostles. So unlike the rest of them, by and large, I mean, we don't know a lot about them, but by and large, we know they're country people, not very well educated, not very well to do. We know at least four of them were fishermen. Um, but Matthew is portrayed as, because he's working for the Romans, he's dressed much more like them, and he, he lives in an affluent house, you know, he clearly has money, and he is not popular. And of course, we know that the tax collectors in the time of uh, the Roman occupation of Palestine were not going to be popular people because they were firstly working for the enemy, and secondly, of course, as tax collectors did, and who knows, maybe still do, they tried to take as much money as they possibly could from you. And they, yes, they took what was due to Rome, but they always lined their own pockets as well. It was expected of them. And they were indeed sinners and tax collectors, so they're always roped into the one. So you see that very clearly in The Chosen. And even when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, it takes a while, we've, we've sort of been introduced to his story in The Chosen before Jesus actually encounters him and, and calls him. Um, we see how the other disciples didn't react very well, which is a strong possibility, because they wouldn't have liked Matthew any more than the rest of the people. So it's an interesting portrayal of one who just didn't seem to fit in with the demographic of the rest of the apostles. 
Now we know very little from the Bible about Matthew, that The Chosen is a wonderful uh, series, but it embellishes the stories. We know that he was a tax collector and he was seated at the receipt of custom. And Jesus passed by and gave him the same invitation that he had previously given James and John and Simon and Andrew to follow him. And just like they did, he left everything on immediately and stood up and followed Jesus. So that in itself um, gives him some credibility. Uh, regardless of whatever his past held, he accepted the invitation of Jesus to follow him without hesitation, without qualification, and he left behind something. And indeed, God often calls us to leave behind something um, in order to follow him. And that's something that we encounter in ministry, particularly when we're settled in a parish and we feel the call to perhaps <coughs> move somewhere else. And we have to leave uh, a place where we're well established and where we've made friends and move into a new environment. So that is part and parcel of discipleship, particularly within ordained ministry. So Matthew gets up and he leaves the tax booth and he follows Jesus. Um, but then Jesus follows him because he follows him to his home. And it says the house, most, most versions say his house. So he goes to dinner at Matthew's house, um, just as he would with Zacchaeus. And he is there in the company of all Matthew's friends. Now, Matthew wouldn't have had many friends in common with Jesus because of the aforementioned tax collecting. So obviously the people who were there were mostly tax collectors, people who probably were also misfits and wouldn't have got a lot of other dinner invitations. And Jesus is perfectly happy, perfectly at home, just reclining at the table, just breaking bread with them, sharing a meal. And sharing a meal is one of the most intimate things we can do with somebody. It really takes a relationship to another level. So it's not just like a, a salutation or a greeting. When you go to someone's home, when you break bread with them, there really is a depth of friendship being developed there. It is making a statement. And Jesus constantly going and making those kind of statements. Well, surprise, surprise, the Pharisees are not too impressed with Jesus' choice of uh, dinner companions. And they complain to his disciples, probably a lot not to him, whether they're afraid they'll get their comeuppance from him or um, whether they're, they're trying to maybe subliminally influence the disciples to turn against him. And they question why he is eating with these sinners and tax collectors. But Jesus hears them and, and makes the retort, well, you know, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus, in that statement and in the analogy of sinners to people who are unwell, he's admitting that these people are not whole in themselves because sin, um, we, we can't be whole when we're in sin. But he is not remonstrating with them, he's not telling them to repent, he's not telling them that they have to change their ways, he hasn't given them a long list of conditions that they need to adhere to before they can enter the kingdom. He's simply gone and eaten with them and included them within his realm of friendship. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea, go and find out what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's one of two times that Jesus will make that very same quotation in Matthew's gospel to those who are disputing his way of doing things. And Hosea, of course, lived at a time um, when it was just before the fall of the Northern Territory, uh, the Northern Kingdom, and the people had turned away from God, but they were making um, outward efforts to be seen to be turning back to God. But of course, God can't be fooled, so God knew it was all lip service, 
And he was saying, well, I don't need your outward observances, and I don't need your sacrifices, I don't need your fasts and your assemblies. What I need is your hearts, and your hearts must be full of mercy. We see in Jesus the heart of God, and the heart of God is always merciful, it's always compassionate, and particularly to those who are on the margins, those who are outcasts, those who are down and out, those who are not worthy in other people's eyes of being included in either social circles or even in um, religious circles. So when we think about our call to follow Jesus, when we think about our ministries, they must be one of inclusion. Because unless we are showing mercy and compassion, rather than always wanting to take the high moral ground and, and preaching of the need to repent and doing the whole hellfire and brimstone stuff that some people used to love, and maybe still do, but um, the gospel, the heart of it, the core of it, is mercy and inclusion. So in our churches, in our personal lives, in our ministries, we have got to include everyone because we don't get to choose. God has done the choosing for us. Just as God has chosen us, and yes, we have said yes if we're in this position, but God has chosen us. And which one of us is not in some way a misfit or not worthy or um, the least likely person that might ever have been called to ordain ministry? But God chooses a, a people around him that have many brokenness, much brokenness, and those treasure and clay jars, which we almost got to in our second reading today, um, and not just clay jars, but sometimes cracked pots. So that is us, and that is the ministry that we must have. And just as Jesus followed Matthew to his house and partook of his hospitality, it will never be enough for us to just try and welcome people and pride ourselves on the welcome we give to people who come to us but we will have to go out to where they are and we will have to seek them and find them and just love them. So I'm certainly never the type of person who is going to be standing on a street corner preaching and evangelizing and asking people if they're saved, but I am the kind of person whose ministry is based on love and welcome and inclusion because that is what I see in the Gospels, that is what I see in the life of Christ. And when we are including people who are different than us, when we are including people who think differently than us, and you'll know this even from living um, together in a college situation, you encounter people with different churchmanships, different backgrounds, different theological emphases, um, different ways of doing things. And likewise, in a parish or in your ministry, both with colleagues and with parishioners, you will encounter difference as well. And yet all are welcome and all are equal and all are included and invited to be part of the kingdom. And we thank God for that. So as we reflect on the call of Matthew, we think of how he didn't necessarily fit in. His lifestyle wasn't something that you would be putting on your CV if you were applying to be a disciple or an apostle. And yet the Lord called him. He said yes. And we know that just like the others, that he went on to be a companion, to be a student, and indeed after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, to go and continue preaching that gospel and ultimately to give his life for it. So be encouraged whenever if you feel different, be encouraged in your ministries of welcome and inclusion. And if it gets tough, and don't be disheartened because it is after all by God's mercy that all of us have this ministry, so never lose heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.